Welcome to Healing Black Futures, a podcast envisioning Black liberation and healing through economic justice. This podcast is brought to you by reparationsforslavery.com. I am your host, Asia Dorsey. Episode 3, Reparations, Liberation, and Black Spiritual Traditions. The project for enslavement was to make Black people into tools that could be used by whiteness. You can do that if you void a person of their own culture, of their own spirituality, of their own understanding of themselves. This narrative that Black people don't have a spirituality, Black people don't have a culture, that narrative really serves to forward the genocidal agenda of white pathology against Black people. Restoring access to Indigenous African spirituality is an important element of the movement for reparations, given this country's history of using faith to subjugate people during and after the enslavement era. Repairing what's broken requires both an understanding of this history, as well as a vision of the liberation that's possible when African spiritual traditions are restored. When we think about the different ways that African-American spirituality has been shaped by the institutions of slavery, it's important for us to interrogate our relationship with organized religion. We know that Christian leaders relied on biblical passages to build the case for the superiority of the white race and support the institution of slavery. They supported the infrastructure of slavery as well. Many church structures were actually built by enslaved people. Religious institutions owned slaves and invested in shipbuilding and other elements of slave trading voyages. So we know that many spiritual and religious institutions were used to subordinate and create the institutions of slavery. And yet, African-Americans have relied on those same spiritual institutions to create our own liberation. Our guest today is ritualist, healer, and poet Joy Tabernacle Kemet. Welcome, Joy, to Healing Black Futures. Excited to be here today. Yes, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. So Joy, you describe yourself as being post-Pentecostal as well as being a practitioner of hoodoo. As a visionary working at the crossroads of multiple faith traditions, I'm curious about your relationship to these institutions and Black liberation through spirituality in general. So I think it's not entirely accurate that Black people used the church to create liberation as much as the church cloaked an innate movement towards liberation that is inherent in all beings, but particularly in the expression of Black people. I mean, not to negate that the church is like very much so a part of our communities, a part of the movements that have happened as far as organizing, as far as distributing, distributing resources, as far as, you know, making sure that Black people were cared for. However, I think that the impulse toward liberation isn't inherently a part of the church. I think that that is something that could not be erased from Black people, 
no matter how hard systems of oppression tried. I think that the church, I think it's a complicated vehicle because I, I don't want to just say like it's been an agent of suppression and, and make it as black and white as that because obviously it's not. But I think that it is inherently suppressive to black liberation technologies. It is a way that we have learned to translate our spiritual understandings and to pass them down without threat of being punished or hurt or harmed because of it. I really hear that. And what I love is your language of cloaking, that the church cloaked an inherent liberatory impulse and became a a center and a site for organization and distribution. I loved that you we're not binary about the complex relationship that we have to the institution of church. And I heard some gratitude there because what you said, it helped us to translate our spiritual understanding and pass down our inherent ways of being without the th- threat of being punished. And so I just wanted to reframe that and thank you for speaking to these complex truths. I'm curious about your path as a traditional African-American spiritual practitioner. And maybe what do you think has shifted now such that you can be in the world without a threat of being punished? I mean, I don't think that there is not a threat of being punished. Voodoo is seen as something that is inherently threatening and for good reason, because hoodoo is innately an, a liberatory force. And so liberatory forces are innately against systems of oppression. Having grown up in a church, you know, I can always take it back to the Bible. Jesus said that he came to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I think that if you're talking about hoodoo, you're talking about a practice that is the embodiment of the African spirit, the innate desire to liberation and to freedom. So anything that is in opposition to that is the enemy of a hoodoo. You know, if you are practicing or interacting in oppressive ways, if the systems are oppressive, then yeah, they're going to feel threatened by it. And they always hit. Yeah, I'm thinking about the history of hoodoo which was a set of traditional African practices that were brought over into the new world and continued to be practiced by enslaved Africans and Africans after liberation. Hoodoo dropped in popularity after the first and second great internal migrations when African-Americans fled the South and the terror of the South for Northern cities. And now there has been a renaissance of African-Americans approaching traditional practices and leaving the church. So I know in your your bio, you said that you were post-Pentecostal and you still hold a lot of the gratitude and the, the other experiences from church. My question for you is really, I'm curious about the way that you have sought your liberation outside of a traditional religious institution. I don't hold that much gratitude for church. It's just it's a it's a it's a part of it's a part of my experience. 
as much as speaking English is a part of my experience. I don't hold a lot of gratitude for speaking English, but I write poetry. Me having read all of the Bible and Revelations being my favorite book as a child, having read that multiple times, it's, a, it's innate, it's ingrained in me. So I can spit Bible verses with the rest of them. It's not gratitude, it's just something that exists as part of my being. But my pathway to a non-traditional spirituality, it came up through the Bible because I read the Bible like, and most people do not read the Bible. And I read the Bible and I was like, I don't, I don't think the God in this Bible like people like me. <laughs> but something is calling you and it's an innate expression of your beingness that is not reflected anywhere else. And you learn that that thing is called hoodoo and you begin to grow in community in that way and walk down that path and find your people and be connected to a lineage that is greater than you thought you were. And you realize that what people consider to be dead was never dead, that it lives within you. You feed it just like you feed a mojo. You give it breath. You give it life. You give it words. You give it honor. And then you start to learn the names of the spirits. You begin to walk in the animus ways of your ancestors. And you feel whole. You feel, you feel more whole. You feel more free than you ever had before. And hoodoo has been liberating for me in that way. <sighs> Thank you for, for answering in, in such an honest way. You mentioned earlier this idea about sort of an innate impulse in African-Americans towards liberation. And it sounds like there is also an innate impulse that you had towards walking sort of the hoodoo path. I'm curious about the multiple ways and the multiple pathways that African-Americans are choosing to to walk and and this neoliberal post-colonial kind of framework. Some African-Americans are still choosing to walk with various religious institutions and many, many, many like you are pursuing traditional African spiritualities and traditional African-American spiritualities. My question is, what is the role of white reparationists and supporting the organic movement of African-Americans towards the liberation and the spiritual liberation of their choosing? This is a great question. And I think that it's really amazing to watch Black people move towards spiritualities that are inherently healing and liberating to us. One of the things, and you talked about at the beginning of the show, was about sort of the ontological disruptions of Christianity to the African psyche. People, I don't think, realize that, you know, the U.S. sort of created its own Christianity to deal with the question of enslavement. The Southern Baptist Convention actually split off from the rest of the Baptist Convention because of the schism that the Baptists had around the question of slavery. So you really have theologies that were specifically developed in U.S. soil that were developed in order to support slavery. 
And this is something that I remember going to church when I was a kid, you know, and being told that I should be grateful that my ancestors were brought here from Africa because if they hadn't been brought here, then we would be living in huts and then we wouldn't know anything about Jesus. And so I think that this sort of ontological rupture of the African psyche, this continued rupturing of this psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that is inherent, that is an inherent part of the US imperialism, colonialism, all of that systemic oppression, like the Christianity is a deep, deep, deeply rooted part of that. And we see it all over the world. But I think that when it comes to Black people in the U.S., because we live here in the U.S., we don't hear that there has been a spiritual warfare against Black people, that there has been a psychological warfare against Black people, against our ability to see ourselves fully. Wow. Uh I went, I went to so many places in your sharing, and especially the space of spiritual warfare. We really take for granted that indoctrinating Africans with Christianity and these other forms of religion was a form of psychological warfare. And you really surfaced that harsher reality, especially in the context that many African-Americans are faithful in practicing, you know, these, these traditions and have made them their own. The project for enslavement of Black people, of African peoples, the project was to make Black people into tools that could be used by whiteness. And You can do that if you void a person of their own culture, of their own spirituality, of their own understanding of themselves. So this this narrative that Black people don't have a spirituality, Black people don't have a culture, Black people don't have this, they don't have that, that narrative really serves to forward the genocidal agenda of white pathology against Black people. The concept of Black people having a spirituality that is their own is a concept that that fights against a genocidal narrative. Because if you can make a people what you want them to be, then you could say, oh, these people, they're nothing but the definition that we've given them. So, you know, before they were slaves and now their prisoners before they were slaves and now they're fodder for the wars before they were slaves and now they're welfare recipients and this constant definition of black people and there have been so many you know studies anthropological studies on black people from the white anthropological gaze that has determined that black people did not hold on to any africanisms other than superficially outside of the Gullah Geechee people, that has been intentional. But what I do know about being an African here and being a hoodoo here is that hoodoo is a living spirit. And so it being our lineage, it being who we are, that if we allow ourselves to be reconnected to it, 
then it opens itself up to us and that we can walk on that pathway because it cannot be killed. White pathology does not have the strength to kill it. <laughs> it does not have the strength to take it away from us. But it is important that people who would consider themselves quote unquote allies or people who would be considering what reparations look like, that these people take into consideration that in order for reparations to happen, that we must take into account the psychological genocidal uh, nature of white pathology and not just, it can't end at don't kill us in the streets. So it's, imp it's imperative that people who are really serious about reparative work are not just thinking about, oh, how can I march in the streets for the latest of the most traumatic killings, the lynchings, but how can I also help to support the restoration of Black psychological and spiritual well-being? We recognize that for other peoples, for instance, Indigenous peoples, that having a connection to their Indigenous spiritualities is a human right. It is a right. But there is a deep and grave wounding that Black people here, Black people in the U.S. have experienced around our connection to our spirituality, around our connection to what it means to be in relationship to divine, to our connection to what it means to be in relationship to the earth and to the spirit, that there is not enough redress happening. So what that means is that we don't have places in general where we can gather. We don't have places where we are allowed to drum, where we are allowed to ring shout, where, where we are allowed to gather in numbers. We're constantly surveyed, you know, under surveillance. It means that we are not consistently given access to or have access to uh, plantation lands where we need to be able to do ceremony to heal the relationship to the spirits that still reside there. It means that we don't have legally protected access to our spiritualities in prisons, in school systems. It means that we don't have access to calendars that support our traditional ceremonies and celebrations. It means that we are not seen as people with a whole vibrant way of being that is really supported and uplifted. So what reparations looks like, supporting Black spiritual freedom looks like, is us having access to spaces to hold ceremony us having access to plantation and actually like managing plantations spiritually as well as physically. It looks like us being able to gather in historically significant places for Black people. It looks like us being able to honor our own calendars, our own ways of celebration. It looks like people supporting us being able to take time off to do those things, to do the things that are spiritually liberating for Black people. You're listening to Healing Black Futures. We'll continue our discussion on reparations, liberation, and Black spiritual traditions with Joy Tabernacle Kimmet in just a moment. 
Welcome back to Healing Black Futures. As we continue our conversation on reparations, liberation, and Black spiritual traditions with Joy Tabernacle Kimmet. Joy, I really want to hear you share about reparations at the intersection of grief, those spaces that reparations can help support. I really want you to share about grief and grief work in the context of African-American spirituality? There are so many different avenues because the grief is so large. You know, I don't know a black person is not carrying grief. So reparations can support grief work by donating to black funeral funds. It looks like people donating to Black wellness funds, Black therapy. It looks like people donating to Black cemetery organizations, organizations that are stopping our cemeteries from being completely erased and destroyed by companies that are coming in and just building over top of hundreds of Black ancestors. It looks like supporting traditional spiritualists who are creating spaces of ceremony and healing for Black people. It looks like supporting Black people in their pursuit of, uh, of Black psychological and spiritual well-being and training in those ways. For instance, people, Black therapists, people who are going to traditional African priesthoods, people who are training to, who are apprenticing as hoodoos. It looks like that, uh, those type of supports. It looks like donating land and, and space for people to actually have ceremony, spaces where people can drum, spaces where people can dance, and spaces where people will not be under surveillance by white people. It looks like that. It looks like donating plantations and plantation management to Black folks. It looks like donating time, paid time off for Black people to rest after traumatic events. It looks like donating to activists quote-unquote activists, but people who are working in healing lanes, especially when a big present trauma happens in the Black community via lynching or, you know, some something else that's gone viral. It looks like people being actually able to build spaces of healing and community after events of uprisings. It looks like people just being able to access the care and the ceremony that they need in ways that are unique to a Black voodoo lineage. It looks like all of those things. Yes. So in this, in this segment of the podcast, we actually travel into the liberated future. This is a future where all of the things that it looks like that you just shared, all of those things have come to fruition. I want you to really, with your beautiful language, I really want you to paint a picture of the liberated future where Black spiritualities and Black folks are given their Indigenous and God-given right to practice as our ancestors have seen fit. Mm. So yeah, what is, what, let's travel to the future. Boom, we're there. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? 
What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? None of us are worried. None of us are concerned. None of us are anxious. All of us are carrying something beautiful with something heavy. And we have come together in this space to put it together for transformation. The things that we are carrying that are heavy yet beautiful, we are putting them together for transformation. And we are not watching our backs. We are not worried that somebody is coming down the street. We are not concerned whether or not this gathering will be broken up because this place is a safe space. And by safe, I mean liberated. By safe, I mean our lungs are filled with good, clean air. And we take our shoes off and we carry the heavy yet beautiful things to the water. And these heavy yet beautiful things, these are our hearts. And we take our hearts and we throw them in the rivers. And the rivers clean our hearts and the heaviness is washed away and only the beauty remains. And we take our hearts, we take them back and they're bigger and we are braver and we are more expanded than we have ever felt in our lives. Ourselves have allowed us to surrender all that is not us. And we are as free as the people that Lauren Hill talked about when she said that we walked up to the sun and we did so together. We could fly as the prophecy stated. I have tears. I'm really there with you in this liberated future. From this place in the future, may I ask you a few questions? Yes. Yeah. What was the hardest thing that we had to overcome in order to get here? Mm, There were several hard things that we had to overcome to get here. The two things were the internal and the external. And the internal that we had to understand was about how we, we had to get to a point where we were no longer being distracted by what other people thought we should be. And we allowed ourselves to be ourselves fully and without apology and without shame. That was the internal. Now the external was the amount of temper tantrums that everybody had. Everybody, non-Black had at the thought of Black people having claim to anything, anything at all, be it space, time, or money. It was the whataboutisms. It was the we didn't do that. It was all of that noise that is present, that is present today. Certain people began to realize that part of the sickness of this world was how Black people were excluded from this concept of humanity. And the exclusion of Black people from this concept of humanity was making everybody sick. It was making the earth sick. See, there's this idea that because Africans are not indigenous to this land, that the earth no longer cares for us. 
But these trees that we were lynched on, they weep for us. Our blood is in this soil and this earth weeps for us. So this idea that just because we are not indigenous to these lands, that the earth doesn't know who we are, is a lie. And it's a lie that is perpetuated and perpetuated and perpetuated till some people began to see that we could not fix the ills of the so-called world without repairing the relationship that everybody else had to the idea of humanity that did not include Black people. I'm curious what Earth-based practice had to do with us being here in the liberated future. What was the relationship between Black people and the Earth that got us to this, to this point? It's really interesting. Like you said, that hoodoo began to be less prevalent as people were terrorized from the South to the North, you know. And when people began to go to the North, that's when we began to get into the Industrial Revolution. Not all of us were, were necessarily enslaved. And some of us, some of our ancestors did hold land. My ancestors had a 50-acre farm that does not exist anymore. So the terrorization continued after enslavement and it disconnected, it severed, the continual severance of Black people from land, from the earth, which sustains us all, which sustained us during enslavement. It was a traumatic relationship. The land it still sustained us. We still had plots of land. We had plots of land in the forest where we were cultivating our own food to supplement the, the shit that was given to us by the uh, slave owners. We had access to medicines via our relationship with the indigenous people here or via our own conversation with the plants, you know, and our own recognition of plants that reminded us of the plants that we had at home. We brought our own earth to these lands. We brought our own seeds to these lands and are here. So our relationship to the earth, we made new packs with new spirits. We learned the names of spirits here. So our relationship to the earth, the, the severance didn't really happen as much as we were taken away from our homelands. Our relationship to the earth, the severance or the illusion of the separation of the earth wasn't really complete until the great migration, until they decided that black people needed to be machines inside of the factory. And so you see this now, you see what's happening now. A mass movement of black people. And we all wanna grow some. We all dreaming about a little piece of land somewhere. <laughs> you know, we all thinking of, we all, to, we all forging, we all wildcrafting now, returning to our spirits because it is innate to us because you can't kill it because you can't destroy it so it is happening that turning back towards ourselves i talk about talking to the trees you feel that you know that because you do that you know we we have like we, you cannot be defeated and so it's us letting go of this very brief period of time where we were deluded into thinking that we had a better chances of staying alive if we acted like we didn't like the earth <laughs> And we started listening again to the wind, to the trees, to the flowers, to the birds. It's only been a brief period of time. Like one of my biggest memories 
from my childhood is my grandma and her little plot of land, little tiny, tiny, little strip, and fresh tomatoes. Just slicing up them tomatoes, putting some salt on them, eating them. Getting the watermelons from down south. The watermelon man coming up with the watermelons. You know, snapping the green beans, picking cherries from the cherry tree. It ain't been that long. As we turn into earth-based practices, it's bound to happen because, again, it's innate. This, this practice of liberation, this practice of expressing our fullness of our beingness mm-hmm. is innate to us and nothing can stop it. Thank you, Joy. Uh, my favorite thing that you did during this entire episode was just naming the innate and the inevitability of the return to land and the return to Black traditional spiritualities. We hear often the inevitability of oppression and the inevitability of capitalism, the inevitability of all of these terrible forces. And yet you really speak to how beautiful and innate liberation is inside of us and liberation towards these spiritual ways of being that we already and always had. So I want to thank you for that session. We are going to time travel back to the present now. And in the last few minutes of this recording, I would love to hear you share some of the the projects, including your own, that are life affirming that you would like people to know about. What I would like y'all to know, I would like y'all to know about well, the Golagichi Geechee Herbal Gathering, I feel like was very life affirming to, because that's where we had our conversation. Like that's where we hit it off. So I feel like people need to know about that. Manassas, in South Carolina and the Chesapeake Conjure Society who are doing amazing work around ceremony with Black people and deserve a lot of support. I want to shout out my own um, the North Star Hoodoos, who are also engaging in ceremony. Yes. And do you have any upcoming projects? My biggest project right now is working on a grief ceremony for Black people. We wanted to thank you so, so, so much for all of your, your generous sharing today. There were so many moments where I was touched and and moved to tears and really bought into a reality in in the future that you are creating as you chart this path and folks can stay in touch with you. I know that you have a newsletter. I know that you have a Patreon. Okay. You can support Joy on Patreon. And so we just really want to, to thank you. I personally want to thank you and Really, I'm, I'm still very much in awe. I'm still awestruck. And so all the, <laughs> the things in my heart are just like, it's a lot to, to be with and look at. And so your, your work is real and your medicine is so strong and I wish you the best on your path. Oh, thank you, Asia. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. I love, I love sharing space with you. And I hope that we can, you know, share space in the future. And this isn't the last time. I feel very honored and blessed to be here with you. 
This interview with Joy Tabernacle Kimmet was conducted by Asia Dorsey and produced by Lottie Lieb Dula for reparationsforslavery.com. Reparative contributions can be made at www.tabernacle.life. Thank you. You've been listening to Healing Black Futures, a podcast envisioning Black liberation and healing through economic justice. Brought to you by reparationsforslavery.com. I'm your host, Asia Dorsey.